and ask yourself, what, what, where do I get joy? What is it that brings me joy? What's one of the first things that comes to your mind? Don't say it. You just think about it. It might be volleyball. No, it might be work. It might be money. It might be your car. It might be friendships. Who knows what it might be? It could be a myriad of things. But I would like you to look at this verse in 1 John, or 3 John, I'm sorry, I get all these Johns mixed up. In verse 4, and this is what John says, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That is a pretty powerful statement. For an apostle of God to say, the greatest earthly joy that I have is to hear that my children in the faith are walking in the truth, are living the truth, experiencing the truth, knowing the Lord. And I, and I want to just cover tonight with you that there is no greater joy and will never be a greater joy in your life than the joy you get from loving and serving other people. There is no greater joy. Being married is no greater joy. The only thing that makes marriage a great joy is if you give and if you serve. And if you don't, it's a drag. The only thing that makes having children a joy is if you love them, serve them, and lay down your life for them, or they are a drag. Proverbs tells us that the father of a rebel, is his life rots away. It's grievous to his mother, and it's a pain. Nothing is more painful than to be involved in relationships and be la- and, and, and see your family just go to pot. It's not a joy when it happens that way. It's not a joy to watch people's lives go down the tubes. It's very painful. It's very difficult. But that won't happen to a family or a parent who gives their lives for their family. And it will not happen to you when you're giving your life for other people. But if you don't, I promise you, the most hellish existence on earth. Life is hell when you are waiting around for other people to encourage you, to stimulate you, to love you, to check up on you, to call you on the phone, to ask you how you're doing, to see and investigate what's going on in your life. It's a miserable way to live, and it's a very immature way to live. There is no greater joy than watching other people succeed and grow in the Christian life. I'd like you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I wrote down by this verse, people are greatest pleasure. And it says this in verse 17. Chapter 2 and verse 17. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, never in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you again. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did, again and again and again, but Satan stopped us. Notice it wasn't God who stopped them, it was Satan. It was the devil. We're in a war. And the devil would like nothing more than to keep us apart. The devil would like nothing more than to keep us from deep, meaningful relationships and building one another up. And so this is what he was trying to do with Paul, and Paul knew that. 
And he was expressing to these Thessalonians, I love you. I have an intense longing for you, a deep compassion and affection for you. For what, now, now underline this verse, don't ever forget this verse. For what is our hope, our joy, and our crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when He comes? Ask yourself that question. What are you going to glory in when Christ comes? What is your hope when Christ comes? What is going to be your crown when Christ comes? Oh, I persevered through trials. I tried to honor the Lord. You know, I'm just going to glory in Jesus. Look at what Paul says. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. You are our glory and joy. That is a really positive and unbelievable statement to make, I think, from this man Paul. You would think, I will glory that I finished the race. I will glory that Jesus will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I will glory that, you know, I didn't deny the Lord. And that isn't what Paul says. He says, you, in the presence of Christ, will be all my joy and glory. You. You people. You people. I was, um, some of us were involved in this wedding this last weekend at John and Suzanne's wedding. One of the things that always stimulates me about weddings, especially when it involves sides of the family who maybe don't know the Lord and friends who don't know the Lord is that people get a unique opportunity, a bird's eye view into what we're all about. And I don't know that there's ever been more of a bird's eye view than at that wedding. Um, I remember jo Lonnie and Joan's wedding and, and after um, some of you know Mr. Chelman, you've met him, he comes to church once in a while. They live in Iowa so it's a little hard to get there every week. But uh, they come whenever they're up. And he came up to me uh, at the dance. You know, at the, at the MSA building, we had that big dance. We dance, so, and I dance. So, you know, if you don't believe in dancing, that's okay. We do. And, um, but I'll share with you my reasons why tonight. Maybe you get a, a better picture why. So, at this, uh, after Joan and Lonnie's wedding, we went out to this dance. Mr. Chelman came up to me. He's about 60 years old, 64 years old. And he pulled me aside and he said, Mark, he said, um, there, there, that's the guy. <laughs> um, he said to me, he said, you know, he said, I think it's absolutely unbelievable. Here are these young people that... Um, are out here dancing tonight, and but they're going to show up tomorrow morning, and um, none of them will be drunk. None, they'll all be sober, and uh, be ready to to hear the word of God. He said, "You know," he said, "I'm beginning to see," and this, this I'm just repeating his words. He said, "I'm beginning to see the secret to this church." He said, "How many pastors would be out here dancing on Saturday night with these young men and women?" And the next day, they're ready to hear. He says, no wonder you have the rapport with them that you do. That's why I dance. Because my chance to be with you. When we were at John and Suzanne's wedding, I thought, you know, this is just so awesome. Their parents probably, their minds are probably blown. We probably blew. Every, if any circuit could be blown, it got blown. 
There's, there's no doubt in my mind about that. And, uh, and I'm sure a few people turn their nose up at me too, you know. And that's just par for the course. That's going to happen. But there is so much joy being with one another. You all are my greatest joy. My family, my wife, and you all are on the same par. My joy is in you. My joy is watching you grow, is helping you grow, helping you succeed, seeing you have good things happen to you, seeing you go through trials. I share that. That is that what that that that's what makes me run. Without that I don't tick. Without that I don't function. And there is no and I've experienced a lot of joys in life. But there's no joy like the joy in other people. You know, there's really three kinds of joys the Bible talks about. It talks about joy that your name's in the book of life. It talks about joy in our trials. Romans chapter 5. Not only this, but we exalt in tribulation. And I know that's hard to believe. Trials are joy, but the Bible says it. So that's two kinds of joy. The other kind of joy the Bible talks about is a joy in other people. And I personally believe it is the greatest earthly joy that we can experience. Is the joy of giving to other people sacrificially and seeing them succeed. That uh, wedding for me, again, was just such a marvelous experience because I'm not just there as an, in official capacity. I never go in an official capacity. I go as a friend of the bride and groom, as family, actually. As family. Some, some that I marry are my children in the Lord. Some are my brothers and sisters in the Lord. But always my friends. And it's so neat to see their joy and experience that with them. It is so neat to watch all of you interacting with one another and all these people going, this is incredible. Because you see, I watch. I, I, I take, I try, I'm very observant. And I watch how people interact. And so I watch people's old friends come up, you know, and they, and they put their arms around. And in their shallow way, oh, I'm so happy for you. Oh, isn't this neat? And then I watch the saints. And I watch the tears. And I watch the joy. And I watch the genuine hug. And I watch the genuine affection. And I go, these people that are watching this either think we're absolutely weird <laughs> or we have the most incredible thing going for us in all the world. And you know, that is the secret to reaching people for Christ. That is why we want to try and expose as many of your non-church friends to Jesus. And you know who Jesus is on this planet? It's you and I. We are His body. The book of 1 John tells us, no one has seen the Lord, they see us. We're His body. And Jesus said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. By your love for one another. Your commitment love to each other. It's unbelievable. I have never in my experience been around a more loving, affectionate group of people in 13 and a half years of my Christian life. This is a dream come true. To be with men and women who will excel in love. I've been around loving people, but I just see it growing more and more and more and more in you all. And Paul says here that he enjoys others. Now turn to, turn to uh, three, chapter 3 in verse 8. I want to read this to you in verse 8. Um, excuse me, same chapter. I mean same book, Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 3 in verse 8. Paul says this, For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. You know, is that what makes you live? 
You know, is that what... You know, and, and here's a good way to check that. I use this from time to time. But for those of you who are at the wedding that are single, the check on your heart is, wow, I am so happy for John and Suzanne. Or, geez, God, when's it going to be my turn? Geez, God, it's really a drag. I get so sick of weddings are so hard for me. Oh, it's so hard for me, Lord, to see good come into someone else's life. That's what you're saying. That's the check in our heart. See, do we really live when others are growing? Do we really live when others are standing firm in Christ? When good things are coming into their life? When all these wonderful things are happening to them? Or do we look on with envy and jealousy privately and think to ourselves, yeah, yeah, it's okay. But geez, God, when's it going to be my turn? That wasn't Paul's mentality. That was never Paul's mentality. His mentality was, I really live when you're growing in the faith. I really live when God is blessing your life. In fact, that's what I pray for. And we're going to get to that later. That was Paul's prayer life. So it didn't surprise Paul when it happened. It wasn't like this big shock. It was like that's what Paul wanted. That's what he longed for. You know... One of, the, one of the ways, the true tests of our love is to ask yourself, do you have a parent love for the people that are around you? By parent love, here's what I mean by parent love. My whole joy in life is to see Celeste and Jeremy, Jessica and Micah be happy. And whatever makes them happy makes me happy. If you're going to be a godly parent where, where God is asking for reckless abandon of self-interest, that's the only way to a happy life. Reckless abandon to self-interest. And my chill, and the reason family life today is so much hell is because we see so much self-centeredness today in the family. Mom and dad living for their own self-fulfillment and the kids are left to themselves and the kids grow up living, carrying on the same diseased mentality to life. Living for self. And they grow up dysfunctionally. They grow up not even knowing how to interact with other human beings. And all they live for is self. And you know what's happening today? I see that in the church of God. I see that happening among believers. One of the greatest thrills I have is when people come to Evergreen or they come to New Life or they come to different events and they go, man, the love here is unbelievable. I'm encouraged when that's their comment. I'm encouraged when that's what they get, you see. So if you're going to have happy relationships, if you're going to have a happy life, then it calls for a death to self. A death to self. But that's not as painful as you might think. I want you to know that. Sometimes we talk about this and it's like, oh, jeez, woe is me, martyr for God, you know, and sacrifice for Jesus. Well, it is. You think Jesus lived a frustrated, bummed out life? You think Paul lived a frustrated, bummed out life? Never. Never. This guy in prison writes to the Philippians, Rejoice! Oh man, you guys make me so happy! And he's sitting in this hole. You know? And he's, he's wishing good on the Philippians while he's in a hole. Paul knew the secret to life. I hope tonight you capture the secret to life. So, look at verse... Um, Nine, in the same chapter. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. This was the first verse I ever wrote to my wife 
before we were married. We used to write verses back and forth. How can I thank God enough for you in return for all the joy I have in the presence of God because of you? Well, now I not only think that of my wife, I, I think that of my children, and I think that of you. And I think that of the, my other brothers and sisters and the couples in the church. How? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever just stood sometimes and gone home? I've gone home. I went home after that wedding and I went home after Sunday just absolutely dumbfounded. Just absolutely teary-eyed. Said, God, how? This is a dream come true. How can I thank you enough for the men and women that you have put in my life? For the men and women that you've given me the privilege and the opportunity to die for. This is unbelievable. It is so unbelievable to be with these kind of men and women. I cannot thank God enough. And that's where real joy is at, you see, in each other. Turn to Philippians. We'll go to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1. Look at, what, look at the way Paul writes here. Therefore, now he's writing from prison. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown... That is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. You know he didn't have to say any of that. If he's writing in context at verse three, chapter three, and of course there's no chapters when Paul was writing this, you know, numbers or anything like that. And he was writing about how to stand firm in Christ, how to forget what's behind and press on to what's ahead. Now, Paul could have easily said, um, "But our citizenship is in heaven, who by the power that enables him." Uh, to transform our holy bodies. They will be like His glorious bodies. Therefore, my brothers, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord. And it would have been just as eternally true and it would have said what he wanted. Except that wasn't this man Paul. Anytime Paul had a chance to communicate to these brothers and sisters his love for them, the fact that they were his total joy, they were his crown, they were a crown to him and he loved them and he had an intense passion for him. He did it. He did it. That just blows my mind. Every time I read about this guy, you know, you think about Paul and this dynamic warrior for God. He was such an affectionate man. He, was, he cared so much about the Philippians and about the Corinthians and about the Thessalonians and the Galatians. And it goes on and on and on. This is the way he lived life. Turn to 2 Corinthians 2.4. 2 Corinthians 2.4. You know, we have to make a conscious decision in our lives that people are going to be number one in our lives. I remember as a young Christian, after I'd studied the Word of God, coming to this conclusion... There are three things that are eternal in life. God, His Word, and people. That's all. God, His Word, and people. If you're going to make your life count as an investment for God, then you better invest it in God, His Word, and people. Or all you'll have is an empty shell of a life. That's all you have. But if you invest it in God, His Word, and in people, you'll have the most exciting, enjoyable, 
fruitful, abundant life that you could ever imagine. It is so awesome to care about people. It is so awesome to get stabbed in the back. It is so awesome to, to, to not be worried about whether others are looking out for you or not. You know what a freedom that is to be able to always give. To come to new life ready to join in and give. There is no room for sideline Christianity. That is simple selfishness. So often, we just have this tendency, oh, I just don't fit in. Oh, I, you know, nobody wants me here. I don't have anything to contribute. You know, and I'd like to take people like that sometimes and slap them upside the face and say, you selfish little child. That is the most selfish, pitiful kind of existence there is. Because you know what? Nine times out of ten, you don't really believe that. It's not coming from a position of weakness. It's coming from a position of self-pity. Self-centeredness and self-love. And out and out rebellion to God. When you can simply, you have the power, you've been given a spirit of power, love and self-discipline. And you can go, I'm going to get involved and I'm going to love and I'm going to lay down my life and I'm going to obey God. Did you know there's really only one command that Jesus gave? Do you know what that command is? There's really only one command that He gave in the book of John. This is my command. This is my command. One command. That you love one another as I have loved you. Now obviously there's other commands the Bible gives. But, but the Bible tells us in Galatians that loving others is the fulfillment of the whole law. You see? Thinking of others is the fulfillment of everything the Bible's all about. That's what it's all written for. You go home tonight or tomorrow if you have time, take a concordance and look up the word love. Find out how many times it's used in the Bible. Find out how many times it's used in the New Testament. It is unbelievable. It's almost exclusively used in the New Testament and in Psalms. Hundreds of times. Love. Love, 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 love. And there is such a joy. You are going to experience such a joy as you learn to let go, quit worrying about yourself and love other people and care about other people. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2. He says this, for if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did, so that when I came I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would share my joy, for I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. Here we see Paul again. Why was he writing to the Corinthians? And why in the first letter did he have to write in certain ways that he did? was for one exclusive reason. To let you know the depth of my love for you. Boy, I want you to know the depth of my love, Christians. I want you, that's what he was telling them. I want you to know how deep my love is. I want you to know how intense it is for you. Turn to um, Philippians 1.8. Philippians 1.8. Well, start with verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. 
God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ. Wow. I just, this really turns my crank, this kind of stuff. You know, I read this and I look at Paul and here he's in prison again and he says, listen, I long for you with the affection of Christ. In fact, God is my witness. God could testify that in my personal, private times with Him, my intense longing is for you and is for your good. Can God testify that of you? Or are your prayer life mostly about you? Is your prayer life mostly about, oh God, please, please do this for me. And God, please do this for me. And God, please give me this. Our prayer life is really also the indication of our intentions and our love for others or for ourselves. Now, I want to make sure that you understand that doesn't mean we can't pray for ourselves. And that doesn't mean we can't pray for the needs in our life. That's fine. But I want to ask you, how often do you really pray for other people by name? Have you ever prayed with tears for another human being? Have you ever been so moved of heart, your intense longing for that individual, that you removed the tears, that you felt their pain, that you grieve with those who grieve and rejoice with those who rejoice? Brothers and sisters, I think we can go so much farther in our love. I really do. That's why I'm sharing on this. 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16, in verse 24. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 24. Paul simply says, My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. You know... In the Bible, in Corinthians, in Peter, in Thessalonians, there's a little phrase. Now, I'm not espousing a new doctrine here. I want to explain this, so don't anybody run off on a tangent here on this. It's something that's in the Bible, but we never do it. And there's some reasons, and I'll explain. But Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay? Paul also says in Thessalonians, he puts it this way, greet one another with a kiss of love. Now, most people just have tended to think that's just cultural. And, and I won't argue with that. What I will add, though, is I believe there's much more to it than that. These Christians express their love for one another in a very intimate way. And I'm not saying we ought to go around and kiss one another. For one, for one thing, um, you know, there's more germs today. <laughs> I'm teasing but I, I think, you know, I've been encouraged by the kind of intimacy I see with you all, the affection, the arm around the shoulders or the hug or the warmth that I see. I really thank God for that because I believe people look on. You know, and I've been around, you know, I remember, you know, the counterculture hippies or you get out with the, with, there's certain groups of people and I can almost tell you how they always dress and what, exactly what they look like and they go up to one another, oh, how you doing, man? Like, Wow. But I'll tell you something. I've been around them. It's so shallow. It is skin deep. It is skin deep. And there's a difference between pure God-given affection and a genuine intensity of love and a shallow just, this is kind of cool to do. You know what I'm saying? And Paul had this affection for these believers. 
He had this tremendous... And He engendered that and caused that in others. He encouraged that in others. He encouraged them, lay down your life for one another. And we see this with Paul. He spoke affectionately no matter what he was doing. He expressed to others that he loved them. He told them he loved them. Why? Because it was true. If you want to develop love for others, then you look at the Lord's example and you pray for other people. You pray for other people. I'd have to say, if I was just going to take a guess to be honest, out of all the prayers that go in this room, probably 1-5% to of them are for other people. Especially when we talk about quantity of time. We might go, oh Lord, remember uh, Jack today and Bob and, and Sally and Sue. You know, really be with the Lord. Amen. But we talk about time to pray over their life and, and ask God to really minister to them and, and comfort them and, oh God, help them in this trial. This has really been hard for them. I think we can really grow in that. And you know what will happen? Your prayer life will, will be revealed in your public life. Your affection for people publicly will usually be directly related to your affection for them privately. It usually always follows that way. Turn to Philippians 2, verse 17. This section I just entitled, What Our Attitude Should Be. Philippians 2 and verse 17. Our attitude should be, Philippians 2, 17. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. And just real quickly turn to 1 Corinthians 12, 15. 1 Corinthians 12. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 12, 15. 2 Corinthians 12.15 So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Be that as it may. I have not been a burden to you. This just blows my mind. Paul's standard of love. How often we count the cost. Oh, well, I don't know if I'll go to New Life tonight or something. I'm tired. Did you, do, you, do you understand how important it is that you're here? You're not just here to hear. You're here to love. You're here to give. Will you gladly spend everything you have and expend yourself as well for the sake of other people. If you won't, if it's not your mentality, then think seriously about what you're going to do with your life because it will never be what God wants it to be. And Paul's attitude, so often we're always, and I see this happening, you know, I hear people, oh, so-and-so, yeah, I don't know, I just... You know, I feel so like nobody cares about me and nobody notices me. And I have people come and tell me that. And I listen. But I'm telling you tonight, saints, change your attitude. Change your attitude. If I waited around for people to call me on the phone and say, geez, Mark, I just love you. How you doing? I just called to see how you were doing. Why, uh, I'd die. 
You know? I don't have time to sit around and wonder that people are caring about me. There's too many other people to care about. And we need to really stop and think, brothers and sisters, every day, you see, this is what gives direction and vision to your life. Love ought to envision you and give you a vision for your life and propel you forward. It is the guiding factor of the decisions you make. That's the guiding factor. You see? That's the guiding factor. I travel, I've traveled miles to do weddings I didn't get a dime for and didn't ask and got nothing in return. I've traveled miles to be with people, to encourage them. Why? Why? Because my Savior did it for me. He traveled I don't know how many billions of miles and became scum of the earth for me. It is the least I can do to do it for you. If He thought you were that valuable, then you're at least that valuable to me. And you ought to look at the person next to you with a brand new mentality and a brand new understanding. I was recently visiting with a friend who had a friend who called him on the phone, really in tears, discouraged. But it was late at night. So this person said, well, hey, I'd love to talk to you, but I'm really tired. Could we talk later? And when he told me that, I reproved him. I said, do you understand what kind of opportunity you missed? You don't get those opportunities back. Love doesn't schedule life. Love loves all the time. That's love's mentality. It's available. Now, if you've got a situation and you can schedule, then there's nothing wrong with scheduling either. There's nothing wrong with planning. Planning also shows love. But we need to have a new mentality in our relationships. We need to realize the people we live with and the people we were with tonight and the people we're interacting with are our responsibility and our joy and our crown. I tell you, take on that mentality and it will change your life. It will change your existence. It will change your existence. You will seldom have a discouraging moment when you're thinking about other people, when you're loving other people, when you're tending to their needs and to their hurts in your prayer time and in your personal time. Think about others. There are so many needs in this room. There are so many trials going on in this room. There are struggles going on by your brothers and sisters. Do you know the command for taking on the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6? Edward says all the things and it says, and pray at all times for one another. Pray at all times for one another. Because the devil seeks whom he may devour. And he was trying to devour me today. He was trying to devour you today. And we desperately need one another's love and support. It's easy sometimes to think, well, I don't have the money, or I don't have the time, or I don't have the energy, or I don't have the gift, or I don't have the grace, or I'm just not adequate enough. And every one of those things are a cop-out. It doesn't matter what you don't have, it matters what you got. Always remember that. Doesn't matter what you don't have, it matters what you've got. Your smile out on the volleyball court makes all the difference in a person's life. Your being here in this room makes all the difference in a person's life. See? Because you are a fellow member of the body. If my arm was gone and it, I never got to see it during the day, it would be a real bummer, especially if I knew I had an arm but I never got to see it. That would be no fun. We're members of one another. We are 
one another. When one person hurts, we all hurt. It's all for one and one for all. It's everything here. See? And there's no greater joy in your life. And I'm just amazed as I look at Paul's standard of love. I remember the first Christian friend I had, his name was Tim. And some of you remember I shared with him uh, you about him on Sunday, a few Sundays ago. But uh, Tim was, was one of the most unique guys I've ever met in my life. Um, t- Tim and, and Tim gave me a brand of Christianity that I, I uh, have always thanked God for. Although it had to be refined, Tim and I uh, worked part-time as machinists so we could use the rest of our time for God. So uh, we would go in the afternoons and we'd study the Bible or sleep or uh, shoot baskets or go visit friends. He drove the bus in the afternoon, so we would go up to Webster City High, uh, where we both graduated from, and we'd hand out tracts at the end of school after every day, and we'd go and try to share with some of our old teachers. And For me, it was a pretty radical change, and the teachers knew that because I had been a real moron and rebel in high school, and uh, this was about a year later. And so there was some real radical changes in my life. In fact, I even went back and apologized to some of my teachers uh, for being such a moron. And so we would go, and Tim, Tim was the kind of guy that let the Spirit lead. Okay, he was one of those kind of guys. And the Spirit was always leading to love. The Spirit was always leading to do something. Uh, Tim, you know, he was always on the go. He was, we, we both, uh, I, it was just such a cool, refreshing brand of Christianity for me. I'd never been around that, you know. He loved anybody. I remember this one and this is very this is a real adjustment for me because you know as you guys I'm sure we can all relate to this and girls it's pretty easy to be around cool people and and I always try to be around cool people or well I didn't try to be around any people actually it, it, but but if it was going to be a girl she had to be real attractive you know and I remember uh this little study I was going to see, Tim kind of led this little study. And um, Tim's about three years older than I am. He's about probably 36 now. And um, they were the ugliest girls I've ever seen in my life. I, I'm just being honest. At then, that all changed. okay. But, but when I first started going, I, this is pathetic. And, and see, there was only about 10 of us total. And, um, and so there's a few guys and there's a few girls and, and this... And, and this one girl, she was kind of cross-eyed and, and, and really the most homely girl I ever met in my life. And her name was Joyce. And she had a girlfriend named Shirley. And, um, and it just blew my mind how Tim would go over and help move. He'd help work on their car. Tim would do anything for them. Tim was, you know, a cool guy. And his love for them just used to blow my mind. And I'd see him, and, and we'd go down the street, and he'd, we'd go down the bars, see? You know, and, and we'd wait outside the bars, or we'd go in, and he'd meet some of his friends. And he'd sit down, and he just loved anybody, you know? He, and he kind of looked like him, you know? We had our leather jackets and our long hair and, and our boots, man. And we were cool. And, and, uh, and we'd just go hang out. And we used to go to Fuller Hall, and we'd talk to the kids, and they'd laugh at us, you know, as we'd share. And... and uh, Tim had talked to him about drugs because he used to use drugs real heavy. And, and, uh, and then we met this guy named Dan Chadwick. And, and Dan, uh, I graduated with Dan, but we didn't, you know, we were in opposite groups. Um, and, 
Dan was your clean-cut, all-American, unathletic kind of a guy. And I was on the other spectrum, not necessarily athletic, but totally counterculture and weird. And I didn't hang around with those kind of people. And uh, Tim started this Bible study with him, invited me, invited me to come with him. And we'd be up till, this guy loved foosball and Mountain Dew. He lived for foosball and Mountain Dew. It is own for, and foosball is a blast. And we would play foosball with him till 3 or 3.30 in the morning, drinking Mountain Dews and go home and get up for work the next day. And we'd work with these machinists and they'd always make fun of us, you know, for being Christians. And, and uh, they'd pull out their Playboys all the time. And Tim, he just loved them. He just, he'd buy donuts and take it to him. And I learned a brand of Christianity from Tim that I just thank God for. And, and it was so much fun. It was so exciting, you know. Every day we had a new person to love. And, and you get it, you know, we, we lived with a guy who was 55 years old. Now, I never told you about this guy. This did take too long to tell you about. But you never lived with anybody like this guy. Never. Never. Never in your life. Okay? And this guy was a Plymouth Brethren, came from a Plymouth Brethren background. And, you know, half the stuff Tim and I believe was heresy. But Tim had loved him. And Tim had tried to make the best of it. And um, I learned so much from him. And uh, what, what the main thing I learned from Tim was that people always matter. And that if there isn't time for people, then, then you don't have time for the Christian life. And uh, that's just really stayed with me. And, and, it used to, and it just gave me a zest and an excitement for people to be with people, to talk with people, to try to encourage people, to encourage them to go on for the Lord and to, to try to help them know what I know. Maybe I know something different than they know and I can offer that to them and they might leave encouraged and more hungry to go on for Christ. Well, that was Paul. Paul always had time for people. And whether he was in prison or whether he was beaten, you know, you think about this. When Paul was in the Philippian jail, his back was raw hamburger. His body was beaten. You know what I think happened in, in that jail? I think Paul encouraged Silas. And then when God did this miracle, they led the jailer to the Lord. Now, is that what you'd do? Or would you lay down on the ground moaning and groaning? You know, oh God, this pathetic trial. It stinks, God. Here I'm trying to serve you, and I get beat up, thrown in this jail. I'm not about to rejoice. And of course, well, you know, if you did a miracle, it would be okay. But the last thing we'd be thinking about is leading someone else to Christ and then going to their home and baptizing them. That was Paul. He always had people on the brain and people on the heart all the time. Then turn to Galatians 5. Did I read both those verses, 15 and 16? Yeah, I did. 15. Galatians 5. Galatians 5. This is another verse you want to underline and not ever forget. Galatians 5 and verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. And here's what you want to underline. The only thing that counts. Ooh, you want to know what counts in the Christian life. Okay. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You want to know how I know someone has faith? They love people. They love others. Don't tell me about your faith if you don't love other people. And if you aren't trying to grow and excel in love. Faith 
is, is expressed through love. That's how we see us. I believe there's a God. I believe He died for me. I believe that He died for all people and that people matter. How do I know that about you? Because you prove it with your life. And you prove it with what you say. And they mesh together. And they show. See, there's love. There's acceptance for other people where they're at. And you care about them. And you go out of your way to think, how can I encourage them? Did you know that's the Bible's command us in Hebrews? Therefore, consider, ponder, think about how to stimulate others to love and good deeds. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you thought? You know, maybe I was, I had a situation happening last night and, and I was visiting with a friend and I went away and, I, and, all, and all the time last night I was laying in bed and the other morning I was thinking, okay, what could I do to stimulate that individual, and I tried to do something tonight, but it didn't work, so I'm going to have to try again tomorrow. But I, I try to think, what will stimulate that individual to love and to good deeds in their own life? What will encourage them? That ought to be your mentality all the time. All the time. If it's not, all you should know, all you should know, don't try any rationalization, don't try any dancing around Scripture, know this, you are sinning in your mind. That's all you need to know. You are wrong. You are dead wrong. All you need to know is, how can I encourage other people? How can I build them? What can I do to stimulate their faith? What can I do to, to let them know they're cared about? What can I do to bring them deeper in their walk with the Lord? What can I do to bless, give them a blessing in their life? That ought to be on your mind all the time. And that can develop on our minds. The care groups that are going to get started, some of you are already in some. If you're going to make those care groups grow, if you're going to make them go, if you're going to make them successful, what they call for is self-sacrificial love. That's what they call for. How can I come? That, you know what it means? It means you show up. That's what it means. It means you're there. Why do you need to be there? Because they need you. Because if you're not there, unless you have this extraordinary reason, you have just shown that you're not considering how you could build them up and you're off doing something else. Now, you may have good reason. You may be somewhere else and have to be somewhere else encouraging others. But I think all too often, I'm speaking very frank with you tonight because I love you. We don't show up to things because, well, we're tired. we get got other things in our mind. Life's busy. I've had a busy week. You think you've had a busy week? Walk with me through one of my weeks sometimes. This is the only year I'll ever be 33, and after that I'll be 34. So I'm going to make the most of it. So I'm going to get every inch and every ounce of it that I can get. And I'll tell you one other little secret that will free you from selfishness in the future. Selfishness is a pain in the neck. You know how many, there's been times I've thought, oh, I think I'll just go relax and get some rest, and I'm laying there on my bed, and my night turns into the most miserable night. Anybody ever have that happen? You know, you wanted to get kind of relax and kind of kick back and just try to, you know, have some time to yourself. And, and, and sometimes we need to get away with God. Sometimes we just want to get away with ourselves. And I think I'll manicure my nails and, you know, and soak in the tub. And, and I think I'll go lift some weights and just get away. And you know, I found, I found some of those times to be the most frustrating times in my life. They get so discouraging. They get so, I get so bummed. And pretty soon I got this itch to be with people. Man, I got to do something productive. You know, and encourage somebody. And so usually I'll go and pick up the phone try to get into a conversation. I love the phone. 
You know, pick it up. Try to call somebody. Say, how are you? How's this going? Last time we talked, I know this was going on. And how's it going? I like that motto, reach out and touch someone. You know, we live in a big city and it's not real easy just to bop over, but, but make that happen. When's the last time you just bopped over and, uh, and brought over some frozen yogurt or some sundaes or whatever and just party with people on the spot? Boy, that speaks to people. You know, it's just that you cared enough to stop over. If we can engender that, we will have the most awesome group of people, the most attractive. We'll be like a magnet to the world. Will be like a magnet to new people that come. It'll just blow their mind. Turn to Philippians 1 9. We just look at a few verses, last verses, and we'll be done. Philippians 1 9. So remember, the only thing that counts, the only thing that counts, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And love only, only is valid when it involves another person. This is how we know that we love God's children. We keep His commands. See? The only, the only thing that works and the only thing the only thing love is, you're not patient with time. You're not patient with a block of wood. You're patient with people. You're kind with people. You don't take account of the wrongs that people do to you. You're not self-seeking relationship with people. You believe the best of people. You protect people. Love's only valuable when it's directed at people and at God. And the way we know we love God and it's directed at God is when it's directed at people. There's no way around it, you see. That's what the Christian life is all about. Philippians 1.9, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more and more and more and more. That's kind of the thought. In knowledge and depth of insight. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 3.12. 1 Thessalonians 3.12. And it says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May the Lord make your love increase. Paul prays this over and over again. Oh, that your love would increase. Oh, and what does he mean by that? Well, you see, God has shed His love in our heart. We have it. But oh, that it would increase in revealing itself. Oh, that we'd let it come out more. Oh, that we'd get uninhibited unselfish and let it come out and love one another and care about one another and look out for the interest of one another. 1 Peter 1.22 1 Peter 1.22 I just want you to know this themes throughout the whole Bible. He says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for the brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. First of all, all of us have a pure love because we purified ourselves when we obeyed the truth, when we came to know Christ, when we obeyed the Gospel. And we have a sincere love for the brethren. Do you know, just a little side note here, if you ever wonder if someone tells you they're a believer, you've tried maybe to share with them, share the Gospel. And they know all the right words. You know how to know for sure if they're a believer? Without question. And this is valid. And 1 John was written for this reason. Do they like being with Christians? Do they love the brothers and sisters? If they don't, they're a liar. They don't have Christ. And 1 John makes it very clear. You say, is that a judgment call? It sure is. 
That's why 1 John was written. You read the book tonight or tomorrow and you'll understand why it says that distinctly. If anyone claims to love his love his uh, love God and does not love his brother, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. Okay? So our love shows our obedience to the truth. And, and I like this. Love one another deeply, intimately, with all your heart, from the heart. Do it from the heart, not from the head. Love one another deeply. First Peter four eight. I like this, starting in verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray above all. Here we go. Here we go. Twice. This, the only thing that counts, and above all. What do those say to you? It says this has preeminence. It says that what these two phrases have prefaced has preeminence above all other things. That's what it means. It means, if you want to know, if someone's ever asked you, what's the most important thing in the Christian life? What are you going to say? See, you're still apprehensive. The only thing that counts is what? And above all, what? Love one another. Above all, love one another deeply. There it is again. Because love covers a multitude of wrongs. You're going to get wrong, people. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to be taken advantage of? Are you ready to have people use your stuff and it doesn't come back quite the same? Are you ready to have your friendship taken advantage of? Are you ready for someone else who you love not to return the favor? That's what I'm talking about. You'll still be rewarded. Paul says, if I love you the more and you love me the less, what is that to me? Big deal. I don't care. That cuts against the grain of everything we've heard in society and often what we hear in Christianity. Look out for yourself. Look out for number one. Hey, tough love. Stand up for your own rights. It only goes so far. God, you know, God's love only went so far, and that's a lie. That's a lie. Love keeps loving, and it covers over a multitude of sin. And I really believe, I'm sharing this with you tonight, number one, because you guys have already loving and I really mean that when I say I have, I have not been with a more loving group of people who I see really striving to care for one another to look out for one another to share the joys of one another but I want to say this we haven't arrived we haven't arrived we haven't arrived we can go to a new plateau we can go it's like a new high you know it's like I'm sharing with you a new drug tonight we can go higher, we can go deeper, we can experience relationships with one another like we've not ever, ever before. As we learn, all of us, to cut out the self-centeredness in our lives and love one another deeply from the heart. You do that with your roommates. You start looking out for the people you live with. You start looking out for the person next to you. You get involved in these care groups. It will take 100% effort from 100% of the people to make them effective. Our care, care group I have, you know, sometimes you guys think life dies over 40. You know, I it doesn't. Most of my care groups 40 and older. The couples, their families. And I'll tell you, we love one another. We Our care group usually starts out with hugs all around the room. You know, husbands to somebody else's wife, wife to somebody else's husband. We just love being together. And it's been so exciting. And you talk about, you know, you guys think you have stresses. I, I deal with situations people are going to get, they're almost on the brink of divorce. And you know what saved them? Our care group. 
and they share that with the care group. We're talking about people who are no longer even sleeping in the same room and there's so much tension in their life and trouble and we love them and we care about them and minister to them and today their lives are turning around. Oh, I tell you, I thrive on that stuff. That is so awesome. You know, that is so exciting to be together and caring about one another and loving one another and, and, and taking one another where you're at and having the freedom to say, man, my life's pathetic right now and I need help. And being able to say, you know, and, and you just wouldn't believe some of the conversations at our care group because you think they'd be unchristian. You know, we just talk about anything and everything. See, because what people need is love. Today, we have tried to program Everything in Christianity. We come up with all these slick programs. And I believe in plans. And I believe in programs. But what I want to say this. We desperately need to get back to love today in Christianity. Love builds. Knowledge puffs up. Love is what builds. Love is what builds. When you're in your care groups with one another, when you're in your small groups, when you're with people, you love them and you'll build them. You, you be patient with them. You be kind. You overlook their faults. You overlook their problems. You love them. You praise what's good. You protect them. You show confidence in them. And I'll tell you a little secret. You'll build them. And they'll like being around you. And you'll have lots of friends. But you're going to also get put down. And you're going to have people who misjudge you. And people who question your motives. And people who think you're a nerd. And people who think you're stupid. And people who think you're arrogant when you're really not. And you know, that's just par for the course. I have those kind of things happen all the time. That's fine. I know who I am. You know who you are, I hope, in Christ. You know who Christ is. You know where you're going. And you know tonight what life is all about. It's about love. It's about love. Please write that on your wall. Write that on the forehead of your eye. Write that on your hand. Write it on, wear it as a necklace. If we don't love, we don't have anything at Evergreen. We don't have nothing. And I thank God that we do. Because I see that happening among all of you. But I want you guys to remember, we're not professionals and, and students and, and couples and, and young and old. We're everybody. We're one another. Love one another. Get involved. And we go, well, I can't relate to the professionals. Oh, man, that sounds a pathetic excuse. Are you a human being? Are you having miserable trials in your life? Did you get upset and impatient and unthankful today? Then you can relate to the professionals because they had the same thing happen to them today. You can relate to the mother who's home with her kids all day and lost her patience and wonders if your life's counting. You can relate to the father who's whatever. We all got the flesh. That's our common bond. And we all have Christ. And that's our eternal common bond. You see, it doesn't matter what our lot in life is. It matters that we're all human and we all got Jesus and we all love one another deeply personally and with great affection. Anyway, I'm, I'm very proud of all of you because like I said, this has been the, the neatest group of people I've ever been with. The last two and a half years have been, you know, they just get better. And of course, that's the way it ought to be because we go from one degree of glory to another. Keep loving one another. Keep loving one another. Ask God to make you more loving and pray for other people. And I'll tell you, this group will, the dynamics of this whole group will change. Let's pray.